everybody. Oh, okay. It's great to be here with you guys. If you don't know, my name is Trenton Beneshek. I'm the youth director here at Crosswind. Um, I have the honor and the privilege to present today's message for you guys. Um, so I titled today's message, Alive Again, uh, because I believe we are who Christ calls us. And our identity is who Christ calls us to be. Let's open up in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of today. We praise you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in fellowship. Lord, prepare our hearts as you speak through your word today. We thank you that your word is living and vibrant. Lord, I pray that the word spoken up here will not be my own, but pleasing to you, O oh Father. Lord, we lift up all of our brothers and sisters. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel. Uh, we know that your hand is with you. are with them, Father. Continue to be with them. We pray these things in your name. Amen. June 17th. June 17th, I'm standing on this very stage. And I find myself in a situation that I do not expect to be in. And I'm preaching a message I never thought that I would preach. June 17th was the date of my grandfather's funeral. What an emotional day in my life. I say emotional because, yes, I was in a season of grief. I was mourning the loss, knowing that on this side of heaven, I would never be with him again. But I was also filled with joy. I was filled with joy because on that day, I was constantly reminded of the man my grandfather was. I was constantly reminded of a very important year in my family's history, 1983. I wasn't there for that, of course. I wasn't born yet. But 1983 was a very important year. That was the year that my grandfather would experience Jesus Christ's love and have his life changed forever. See, before 1983 and to after 1983, my grandfather was two totally different people. You wouldn't recognize him. Before the Lord came into his life, my grandfather would live for worldly things to satisfy his flesh for temporary pleasures. He struggled with alcohol. He struggled with women. The list goes on of the things my grandfather would indulge in to satisfy his flesh. He was listening to the lies of the enemy, and that's what he would it was pretty destructive as well, quite, quite destructive behavior, and it tore a rift in our family. But in 1983, my grandfather would meet Christ at the cross, and his life would be changed. His faith became so alive and vibrant. He was so obedient to the Lord. He was the type of person that no matter where he went, he would share the gospel. He would share God's love with somebody. He also was a person who supplied physical needs of his world and his community, the people around him. He would give the shirt right off his back to somebody. I watched it happen once. That was somebody who was listening to the Lord and was obedient to it. It was because of my grandfather's faith that those in my family who have a relationship with God have a relationship with God because he was obedient and listening and he raised up the family to know the Lord as well. Now, I share this story because I think it ties in to the passage that the Lord has for us this morning. I think it talks, as Paul, the apostle, is the author of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, 
He kind of breaks down in clear, vibrant detail as believers what was happening in our lives before Christ, how we get saved, and what God wants to do in our lives after meeting Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, feel free to read along with me out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 10. Uh, at the doors, we had note sheet for you guys if you want to take notes along during the message. And if you're joining us online, well, all the note material is there as well. So the first thing we see in today's passage is our lost condition. Ephesians 1 through 3, let's read. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, let's read. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, right? Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too had all previously lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were, by nature, children of wrath, just as the rest. Our lost condition. It's important as we're reading through Ephesians to remember who the book of Ephesians was written to. Right? We can think that Paul would go on his missionary journeys and he would help establish these different churches, and, the, and this church of Ephesians was one of them. So he's writing a letter to the church, which means we can probably assume he was writing at large to a body of believers, just like us this morning. And it's important to know that this word speaks to us as well. It speaks to all believers. Our condition before Christ, who we are when we meet Christ, and what God wants to do after we meet him. So our condition. Paul gives us three examples of are where we are. There is serious depth to the spiritual state we were in before knowing Jesus Christ, and it is quite sad. The first one is, is we were dead in our offenses, trespasses, and sins. What does dead mean? It means we're dead, right? There's nothing else to it. We were dead, so we were unable to respond to God's truth. We were unable to hear his word, his life-giving word, and whether we acknowledged it or not, whether we wanted to acknowledge it or not, we are in a place of utter hopelessness. We were separated from the life-giving presence of God. We were unable to see because we were dead in our offenses. We were unable to hear because we were dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us this very thing. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So before we were believers, the unbelievers, we were blinded to the gospel. And that's because we were dead in our trespasses. Among being dead, we were also disobedient. Verse 2 goes to talk about how we walked according to the world and of the prince of the power of the air. Without Christ, we unknowingly just followed the ways of the world. 
We were influenced by the enemy. It was a threefold, our own flesh, the world, and the enemy, all working together to separate us from the truth. We let these influence us, and it was just kind of our nature, and I'll get to our nature in a moment, to indulge in sin, just like my grandfather. It was our nature, we, we chose to live and pursue temporary things. We were disobedient as we walked according to the world. Among being dead, among being disobedient, like I just shared a moment ago, it was because it was our nature. Verse 3 would go on to say, by nature, we were children of wrath. Children of wrath. God's word tells us that our actions have consequences as we are by nature were pursuing these things that had no hope that would lead us separated from Christ says that these are sins and your sin earns a wage yay a wage yeah I get paid to sin right Um, and you earn this wage just like when you go to a job and you earn a wage right you go to work you put your time in you put your efforts in and you earn a wage and I can remember my first job a couple years ago, actually. <laughs> Not that long ago. Um, I was working at a craft store, Hobby Lobby. And, uh, right, woo, yeah, Hobby Lobby's cool. Um, and I remember being joyful to go to work. You know, they often say what you put into your job is what you get out of it. And uh, I remember, yes, I was going there to earn a wage to get a paycheck, just like everybody else. But I was filled with so much joy knowing that God has given me an opportunity there to be a light in my coworkers in the world around me. And that's exactly what it was. It was a ministry field, and it was such a blessing to be part of that. Some of my coworkers, though, wasn't the case. And you could see that they were just miserable at work. You know, they, of course, were going for a paycheck just like me, but that was it. And so at work, they were just sad. They were depressed. They were miserable. Our sin is earning us a wage, which is, sounds awesome until you learn what Romans tells us that wage is. So in Romans 6.23, A says, for the wages of sin, what you earn for sinning is death. Yay, not a paycheck I want. What a sad and hopeless ending. We live our whole lives, lo- our whole lives lost, our whole lives dead to the truth and then separated forever. How sad. Thankfully, our passage doesn't end there this morning, and thankfully, God's love is not limited to that either. Because the next two words, and which leads us to our next point, the next two words in our passage this morning are some of the most important words you're gonna read in the scriptures. It says, but God. And what God does there in those two words is he changes the whole narrative of our lives, changes the whole, our, all of our opportunity to become from dead to something else. So our condition, pretty dire, pretty sad. But the second point is he made us alive. Romans 6.23, while it says the wages of your sin is death, it goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Thank the Lord there's a second half to that verse. 
Amen, right? So, the free gift. And our passage will continue, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us. God's great love, the greatest love ever displayed, is the love that is shown towards us. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. It is because of God's rich mercy and his love that we can be made alive again. And it is at the time of our salvation, not before that, not long after, but at the time of our salvation, God gives us three things. First, he gives us a state of life rather than death. Second, he has raised us up. And third, he has seated us in heavenly places. Look how Titus puts it in Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. All three of these things that God gives us at the moment of our salvation are in past tense. He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us in heavenly places. Meaning those three things is not something you have to work towards, not something you have to wait for, not anything. They're a done deal right there at that moment when you give your life to Christ. God has washed away the old. He has made the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead lived. He has raised us up. He reminds us of our value in his sight. He reminds us that we're created after his image. And then he seats us in heavenly places, meaning he has given us a new home. I just sit here in awe. Uh, this is stuff that God has already done for me and for any other believer at the moment I give my life to him. Romans actually tells us from that point that we can walk in a newness of life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, For we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Right, so we were dead people, but Christ has made us alive. Amen? We have, as you heard from the announcements, you can probably see behind me, we have a couple individuals this morning who are taking that step to, to display, to proclaim to all of us that they have been baptized into Jesus' death and raised together by the, by the Father's glory. We're excited for that. And this leads to our next point. We were saved by grace. Ephesians verses 2, 8, and 9. Very important verses in this morning's passage. For by grace. Stop. Grace is important. Grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor from the Lord. Nothing you can do to earn it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. 
However, how we respond to God's grace is through our faith. So what is faith? What is it for us to put our faith into Jesus? Well, we know that it's more than just knowledge. For knowledge is simply understanding what the Bible is talking about. Understanding that this is a book compiled, that's knowledge of the Bible. Understanding that it's, it's talking to all sorts of people, that's knowledge. It's also more than just intellectual acceptance, right? Intellectual acceptance says, I accept these words as true. And that may sound like, well, that's, that's enough. If I believe what the word says, I believe it's true, then, then I'm good to go. But James will tell us a different story. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God. Good. You should believe that. But even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Right? It takes more than just believing that this word is true. It takes putting your trust in it. Trusting that this word is for you. Trusting that it is true. And trusting that this is God's word to us. It speaks to us and it saves us. But also, you can't earn your grace. You can't earn God's mercy. No lifestyle, no works can earn the gift. God kind of levels the playing field here. That way when you pass away and you go to heaven, you can't be up there and be like, I'm here because I was better than you. I'm here because I didn't commit as many sins. I didn't struggle with that thing or that anger or lust or disobedience as much as you did. So I'm good to go. God says, no, it's not like that. Our salvation is not based on our achievements, but on the work of Christ. This underscores that you can't earn God's favor. You can't make God love you more than somebody else. It recognizes that our salvation of the gift that it is should foster humility in us and unity among the body. Saying we are all created equal. We're all created in the image of God. He died for each one of us. He extends his grace to all of us. And Isaiah will actually remind us of just how great our works are compared to Christ. Isaiah 64, 6a says, All of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. When you go and you study what those filthy rags are, they're a little dirtier than you might think. Um, and that is what our good works are compared to, compared to Christ. Ooh, sorry. So, all of us have become like unclean, like the one who is unclean, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. There's one more thing we get from today's passage. We get a new identity. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. What a blessing that we have that we can be transformed from that old nature into a brand new one. 
like my grandfather before Christ was one man and after Christ was a totally new person. That'd be like you driving around in 1998, 350,000 mile Honda Civic, right? And that's your old identity. You pull up into a uh, Ferrari uh, car lot. You get out of your car and you're like, man, I really wish I had a new car. So the people come out, the employees, and they say, oh, no worries. We got you. Here's a brand new Ferrari. <laughs> Boom. What a blessing. And I'm not saying when you become a believer that you get a brand new car. Uh, that's not how that works. We get something better. We get a relationship. We get a new identity. God is working on each of us. He says we are his masterpiece designed by him for him and with a purpose. God intends our lives to be marked by acts of kindness and of service, of putting him first, others above ourselves, and to bring him glory. Like a potter with their clay who's working, they're shaping, and they're going to create some beautiful piece with their clay. Like that, God is working on us. He is molding us. He is shaping us into the person, into the believer that he wants you to be. We are created in Christ, like verse 10 tells us, to do good works and we should walk in them. James 2.26 says this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so is our faith apart from works is dead. I think it's critical to know that our works are not a requirement of salvation, but they're a result of our salvation. When Jesus changes your life, naturally you should start to want to serve him. One of the first commandments Jesus gives, again, two individuals this morning are going to put on display. He says, go and be baptized so that you may be baptized into his death and resurrected in his life. We have two individuals who are ready to say, this isn't what's saving them. They've already been saved, but now they're expressing and proclaiming to all of us what they have on the inside and that they've been changed. It's not a requirement, but God has given you something. He's given you a new purpose. He has made you a part of the body. He's given you specific gifts that are individual and unique towards you. And then he says, I want you to do something with it. Don't just sit on your bum and do nothing. Right? Don't, don't take God's grace and do nothing with it. Right? Grace is not an... Anybody play Monopoly? Right? In between the yellow spaces... And the green, there's one corner space on the board. Anybody know what that is? Jail. jail. Go to jail, directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not receive grace. <laughs> right? And we want to act like God's grace is that card you get when you land on community chest or chance where it's like, hey, I get to get out of jail for free. I often like to sell those. I don't like those cards. So I sell it to one of the other players for $40 because it's a $50 value. It's pretty good business, I think. Um, anyways, 
You get that card and you're like, yes, I get to just keep going on about my merry way like nothing ever happened. And we like to treat God's grace the same way. That uh, I've been forgiven, I've been washed clean, and now I get to just keep living my merry life. Grace is not a get out of free gel card, guys. It's an invitation to leave the prison you're already in behind. <clears throat> Whatever you struggled with before Christ, or maybe you're struggling with it now, it no longer has to be your identity. It no longer has to be the thing that defines who you are as a person. Maybe it was lust. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was just trusting in the Lord in general. And we often make that our identity. God says no longer. Galatians 5.1 says, For it is freedom, for freedom, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You were dead in your sins, in your trespasses. You are a slave to your sin. But I've redeemed you. I've made you alive. I've given you a new purpose. Don't act. Don't live like the same person who was dead. You can move on from that. That's what his grace does for us. It's going to be a shorter message this morning. But my hope and prayer for us today is that each one of us can be made alive again in Christ. Have victory over his death. Over our death through his grace. Remember that his grace is not an excuse for us to continue to sin. Remember Jesus when he met the woman at the well. She was caught up in all sorts of sins, mainly sexual ones, right? And Jesus in that moment, he calls her out of those sins, says, look, I know that you've been with lots of men. I know the men that you're with right now isn't even your husband. But then what does he do? He extends that gift of grace just like he extends to us. He washes her clean. He gives her a new identity and says, now go and sin no more. Right? She no longer has to be buried or burdened by those old chains. Like we sang earlier, right? The chains hit the floor. Christ breaks those things. And that can be you or hopefully it is you this morning. And then you walk in that new purpose. You walk knowing that God has put you here for a reason. God has made you who you are for a reason. And he wants to use that in the lives of your world, of the people around you. So a couple of takeaways for this morning. The first question is, do I want to remain lost? Maybe you're in a, you're, you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be changed. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you still want to indulge in temporary satisfactions. Maybe your sin has become your identity so much that you're afraid of people seeing who you really are, so you rather just remain lost. First question is, do I want to remain lost? And if you don't, the second is, have I been saved by grace? If you don't want to be lost, have you made that choice? Have you had the knowledge, but also the acceptance and also the trust in God's word to say, I've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sorry, I keep shaking up the mic a little bit. And lastly, 
do I live out my new purpose? God's given us a command. One of them is to be baptized. God's given us a call to use your gifts to serve him, make him the master of your life. As he has brought me from dead, death, he's given me, uh, made me alive, he's given me a place, he's raised me up, and he's given me a place in heaven. Do I live out that as my identity? Or do I live again like I haven't been saved by grace? Let's pray. Father God, we pray this morning that we can sing that we are who you say we are. It is by your great love, your great mercy, how rich it is, Lord. I pray that we can be, be made changed, being risen from the dead, being from our lost, wandering identity. And we praise you that you can extend, that you've extended your grace to us, that we may receive your, the gift of salvation, not by our works, but by you, Father. And Lord, I pray that we will live that out, that you give us, each of us in this room, a challenge today, that we will go and serve you in our world, the people around us. We praise you. We love you. We thank you that your love is infinitely greater than ours. We pray these things in your heavenly name. Amen.